All right, good evening, good evening, and welcome to Discipleship Class number 13. And the title of the class this evening is Kingdom Overview. And you hear me say this a lot, but it's one of my absolute favorite classes for a lot of reasons. And one of the main reasons is because the kingdom of God and what the Bible has to teach us about it is among the most important things in the Bible while at the same time being some of the least understood. And so I really get excited about having an opportunity to teach people about our Father's kingdom. And so that's what we're going uh, to do tonight. Uh, we've only got a few folks uh, in the room, uh, actually three if you count me, and I guess I count. So, <laughs> But uh, I think we've got uh, some folks that are dealing with some uh, illness and that sort of thing. But we should have some more people join us uh, here in a few minutes. So. Those of you watching online, if you hear some rustling around in the room, it's just people coming in late. And so, but anyway, let's pray and we'll get right into it. Father, thank you for our time together this evening. Um, Lord, as we begin, uh, we say thank you for uh, good health and for uh, strength. And Lord, for each one of us and Lord, for those uh, who are a part of this class that are dealing with some sickness tonight, Lord, we thank you for healing and speedy recovery for them. And for protection, Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, from some of these viruses and things that are circulating. I thank you that your name, Jesus, is above every name, including RSV, influenza, COVID-19, and all other cold and coronaviruses. And so we thank you, Father, for your word. And we, we declare that you are our refuge and you are our strength and you are our healer and you are our protector. And Father, I thank you that uh, you're also our teacher. And we ask you to teach us tonight these important truths from your word concerning your kingdom, our part in your kingdom, our place in your kingdom, our role in your kingdom. And we believe you for good things now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so as I mentioned uh, a moment ago, the title of the class tonight is Kingdom Overview. And to connect tonight's class with last week's class, remember we were talking about God putting His words in our mouths and covering us with the, putting His words rather in our mouth and covering us with the shadow of His hand so that He might plant the heavens. And so we focused on heavens plural last week and uh, what that looks like and, and how all that affects and impacts us. And so uh, hopefully we'll get to a point uh, in the teaching tonight where we'll tie some of those things in uh, and make some connections uh, from last week. But I mentioned briefly in the introduction before we prayed that the subject of God's kingdom is one of the most important while also being the least understood subjects in the Word of God, uh, specifically as it relates to Jesus' teaching in the New Testament. And so I believe we need a better understanding of the kingdom of God. And if, if you're a part of this class and and you already have some understanding of God's kingdom, then that's great. Maybe some of these things will be a refresher course or some review for you. But most people hear the kingdom of God, or also we see the Bible uses the expression the kingdom of heaven, and they tend to think of going to heaven one day uh, when they die, or uh, I think it would really be cool to go in the rapture. Uh, and, and I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe the Bible, uh, you know, absolutely soundly teaches this. I believe the angel confirmed it after Jesus uh, went up uh, to heaven. He said that Jesus would one day in like manner return. But when we talk about the kingdom 
of heaven or the kingdom of God, we're talking about something much more than the literal place of heaven or paradise like we uh, taught on last week. Um, the next thing, just to kind of set the stage for where we're going tonight, Jesus did not come to this earth to create a new religion. And I know we talk about Christianity and being a follower of Christ, but that was really not Jesus' goal or purpose. His goal and purpose was to bring God's kingdom to the earth and provide a way for us to enter into it. So it wasn't that Jesus came to establish a new religion or a new branch of an existing religion, but it was to bring God's kingdom to the earth and provide a way for us to enter into it. Uh, number three, Jesus taught about the kingdom more than any other subject. Jesus taught us about the kingdom more than any other subject. And if you've read the Gospels, you'll, you'll notice that so many times when Jesus would begin a teaching, He would begin by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. So the kingdom of heaven was His first subject, His most consistent subject, and then his final subject uh, while here on the earth. And what we see, of course, is that when Jesus was raised from the dead and he spent 40 days on this earth, and we see that those 40 days were occupied with him teaching on the kingdom of God. Number four, we see the kingdom of God is the source for our authority in ministry. It's the source for our authority and ministry. We are citizens of our Father's kingdom. We are ambassadors for our Father's kingdom. We are uh, members of the body of Christ, and we represent Him, and we represent His kingdom in the earth. So uh, kingdom overview is our subject tonight. Uh, developing a better understanding of the kingdom of God as it being more than a place we go to one day if we're Christians and born again and where we go when we die, um, but that it is uh, the, the subject that Jesus taught us the most. It is the source of our authority and ministry that we're citizens of the kingdom, ambassadors for the kingdom. So let's begin uh, this kingdom overview in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, In those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Last week we talked about the kingdom of God and the resources of God and the answers that we need from God as being three heavens away and very difficult to access. We looked at Daniel and how he fasted and prayed for 21 days to finally receive an answer from an angel who had to fight his way from heaven to the earth and was then going to have to fight his way back from the earth uh, into the third heaven where the throne of God is. Now we see a new message because it's a new day. And that message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was John the Baptist's message. This was the sermon, if you will, that he was instructed and inspired to preach. And so when people came to John to be baptized by John, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. 
And we often think of a baptism of repentance meaning as, you know, a baptism from sin. And, and yes, that was people saying, hey, you know, we've been doing wrong, we've been living wrong, we need to change. But what we really see here is that the call to repent or the call to change was a call to repent for the kingdom is at hand. Now, I'll tell you what, let me come back to what I was about to say because I want you to see a pattern here and it's easier to see the pattern if I just go verse by verse by verse and then we'll come back and make some uh, comments on it, okay? So Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we got John the Baptist preaching. And if you remember, he was uh, Jesus' cousin. And he was um, called by God, uh, also supernaturally conceived. uh, Not by the Holy Spirit, but like Abraham and Sarah supernaturally conceived in their old age. John the Baptist's parents supernaturally conceived in their old age. And uh, he was sent forth by God uh, as a prophet to prepare the people's hearts to receive uh, Jesus to receive their king. And so he preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, and then Jesus comes on the scene because John the Baptist was a little bit older than him. Jesus comes on the scene and he's preaching the same message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then we go to Matthew chapter 10 verses 5 through 8. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, anybody want to guess? (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Right Now, notice here, for the first time, we have... Um, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, raising the dead, and casting out demons associated with this message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right? Now, we see that after the 12 were sent, uh, Jesus called 70 others to himself and he sent them out. And notice what they preached. We find this in Luke chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city clings to us and we wipe it off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day uh, in that day for Sodom than for that city. Okay, so we're seeing uh, a very uh, obvious pattern. John the Baptist preaches this message. Jesus preaches this message. The 12 apostles preach this message. The first 70 missionaries all preaching the same message. That ought to tell us this is a very important message. Okay, now the word repent By the way, let me, the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me to put this in um, the notes tonight. And so as it relates to this passage in Luke chapter 10, where he says that, you know, heal the sick there and the people who receive you, um, uh, you know, minister to them. But the ones who reject you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Um, sometimes when we get rejected, we get defensive and we get hurt and we become offended 
And rather than shaking off the dust, we throw a fit, and the dust that was on our feet winds up in our hair and our eyes and our face all over us, right? So don't throw a fit in the dust. Just shake it off and move on. He's also saying, look, don't carry those things with you. And this is one of those things the Lord spoke to my heart many years ago that has really, 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 how many more times can I say really, has really helped me, all right? And it's based upon this passage right here. He told me one time, he, he, this is his quote to me, he said, don't let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the ones who want you and need you. And if we're not careful, when, when people reject us, especially when they reject us concerning our gifts and callings and our efforts to minister to them, it can cause us to uh, be defensive and even get behind walls to protect ourselves and if we do that, then the enemy has succeeded in his efforts. So again, don't let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the ones who want you and need you. Sometimes these folks would go to areas to minister and they would try to kill them. And then they would go, especially if you read in the book of Acts, you know, then you would go, for instance, a place called Berea comes to mind, B-E-R-E-A. Um, and we see that the people in Berea just, they were so diligent where the Word of God was concerned. They just, they just ate it up and soaked it up and couldn't get enough, right? And, uh, you know, three cities before that, they were trying to kill them <laughs> for the message. And so uh, if, if you try to help somebody who doesn't want to be helped, um, don't be offended by that. Just move on because there will be other people who do want you and who will receive you and who do need the message and the ministry that Father has put in your heart to give to them, okay? But just to emphasize, the same message preached by John the Baptist, Jesus, the 12 apostles, and the first 70 missionaries, okay? Think of the importance then. Think of the significance of this message. And so let's begin with this word repent. The word repent in the Greek is the word metanous. It's a compound word. Meta meaning a change in condition and nous meaning mind. Meta nous is a change of the way you think. Now, I was raised in church, and I'm thankful for that, but the way repentance was presented to me from the pulpit and from the Sunday school lessons and things of this nature, it was always stop what you're doing. Uh, you're headed in the wrong direction. Do a 180. You know, you're, you're, you're headed the wrong way, uh, turn around and go back the right way. And that was the message of repentance. And there was a lot of, you know, evangelists and pastors and whatever that came through our church and they would preach those messages and I would go to the altar and, and repent, you know, and ask God to forgive me. And I'm, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing or a bad thing, but the, the true heart of repentance is more than changing your behavior. It's allowing God to help you change the way you see things. It's allowing God to help you change your mindset and your attitude and, and the way you think. And so when he says repent for the kingdom is at hand, remember what we said last week. The kingdom up until this point um, was very far away and very difficult to access. To get an answer from heaven, the third heaven, was um, you know, a, a very big ordeal. But Jesus changed all that. So when they're saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, 
He's literally saying that, that the kingdom of God is as close as your outstretched hand. It's right here among you. It's right here with you. What used to be almost impossible to access and get to is here now. The king has come, and he has brought his kingdom with him. Okay. Now, why would they say, repent for the kingdom is at hand? Because if you continue to think of God's kingdom as being very far away and very difficult to access, you're going to miss out on it being close to you and easy to access and easy to receive from. One simple way to illustrate this, if, if Jesus is over here working on this side of the room and my back is turned to him and I'm facing this side of the room, there's a very good chance that I'm going to miss what he's doing over here. And that was one of the reasons why John the Baptist went ahead of Jesus preaching this message, the, the disciples, the missionary. Remember like the 70, the Bible says Jesus sent them to the cities that he himself was about to go to. In other words, they would go into those cities before him and, and start preaching this message that the kingdom was at hand, that God's kingdom wasn't, wasn't far away now, it was right here among you. And then Jesus would come in and the people's hearts would be uh, ready and prepared and there would be uh, great revival and great miracles and great works of God. Okay, So if you continue to think the way you've always thought about these things, and, and listen, I wish I could tell you that, that uh, you know, people in the church today uh, have the right kingdom mindset, but unfortunately... Uh, many, and I hate to say this, but I, I'm even going to go so far as to say most do not. Most people still have a very outdated Old Testament-based perception of God's kingdom and that it's three heavens away and just hold on to the end and we'll get there one day and then everything will be okay. But that is not the message of Jesus and that is not the teaching of Jesus. Therefore, it's not our message and it's not the message that we're supposed to carry to the world. Let me see if I can say it real simple like, okay? We must become kingdom-minded. We must become kingdom-minded. We need to let the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God um, develop within us what I call a kingdom mindset, a kingdom perspective, to where we look at things through the lens of God's kingdom, where we see ourselves as citizens of his kingdom, where we see ourselves, now we're jumping way ahead, we we'll kind of work our way up to this, but the Bible says that God's kingdom has now been given to you, that, that Father, it's his good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. He's given to you his kingdom, he's given to you the keys to his kingdom. And, of course, we'll look at all this as we work our way through it, all right? Now, when, when we say the kingdom of God, I want us to try to develop uh, a better idea of what we're talking about. And sometimes spiritual things and holy things and eternal things, um, it's hard to capture them in a few catchphrases or a, cute, a few you know, little sayings or what have you. Um, and the kingdom is, is like that. And I think one of the first things that we need to think of when we think of God's kingdom is we need to think of, of God's government. The kingdom of God being the government of God. Okay? So we, we uh, in the room here, all of us live and are citizens of the United States of America. And so we come under the government of this nation, and we come under the provisions that um, you know belong to a citizen of of this country, and 
we see that not every government on planet Earth works the way our government does. Um, not everyone enjoys the same types of freedoms and, and, and benefits and privileges uh, that we would enjoy as being citizens of, of this government. One of the things that makes teaching the kingdom a challenge, uh, especially in, in my part of the world, in, in, in the Western world, is that here we have a republic, a representative democracy. We've never lived with a monarch, uh, a, a king or a queen. And of course, in Jesus' day, uh, that was the primary form of government. You know, the, the Roman Empire, the, the Caesar, it was, it was a kingdom. There was, there was one ruler who was uh, you know, absolute, so to speak. And so there's a, a lot of things that factor into what a kingdom is and how a kingdom functions that has been lost on us, those of us, I should say, who've been raised in a uh, democracy. But in a, when we say the kingdom of God then, let me, let me try to give you just a few uh, ideas of what we're saying. Is, and you'll hear me kind of run through these, the four R's. So the kingdom of God would be the, the government of God, also known as the rule of God, um, the domain where God rules, the reign of God, the domain, kingdom, the, the king's domain, um, where uh, the reign of God, the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God. But then this next one, it starts with an R, but it's, 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 it's slightly different because when we talk about the, the kingdom government of God, we're talking about God's kingdom resources. So the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, the resources of God. I'm not saying that's comprehensive. I'm not saying that that you know, is, is by any means the final word on what the kingdom of God is. But I'm, I'm trying to help you think of it more in terms of a government and, and, and a, a, a rulership, um, uh, the, the area or the place where God reigns, where God is in charge, and the resources. When we talk about a government, we, we, we can't forget the resources of that government. And I say this sometimes to make the point not to, um, uh, to be, you know, trying to be funny. Um, I'm getting text messages here that we, we're not streaming on Facebook. Oh, man. Okay. Um, praise God. Well, amen. We'll just keep going. I don't know how else to change it. So thank you, Jesus. I have to repost. Um, I apologize for those of you who are, uh, man, okay. Well, praise God. Amen. This would have probably been one of the largest uh, <laughs> viewership tonight because of people trying to, um, to pick it up uh, on Facebook that are not here, so. Amen. Kind of rattled me a minute there, but we've got to keep, got to keep flowing. All right. So um, we talk about the, uh, the government of God and the resources of God um, as, as a citizen of God's kingdom, right? Um, the benefits, the rights, the privileges that belong to someone who is a citizen of his kingdom. And so 
I say this to make the point, not to try to be funny or make a joke when I say that I live in government housing. I live in kingdom government housing. In, in other words, every, everything that I have in my life, the Bible says a man can, re, can receive nothing unless it be given to him by God. And so I drive kingdom vehicles. I'm wearing kingdom clothing. Amen. In, in other words, God is my source. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. I'm one of his sons and a, a, a royal priesthood. Amen. Come on, that's you too. And so we are in this uh, kingdom. I'm very thankful for uh, my homeland here in the United States. I'm very thankful for um, the, the benefits that, you know, are involved in um, being a citizen of this country. Um, but this country and this government is not my source. It's a channel that, that God uses, but it's his kingdom that is ultimately uh, my source. Okay, now let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Isaiah 9 and 6. So we're going to step back and look at a prophecy concerning the kingdom. And it says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Okay? So we know that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is speaking of Jesus coming to the earth. And notice that it says the government will be upon his shoulder. The government will be upon his shoulder. This is a, a, an interesting and unique way to communicate this because when we talk in terms of a king and his kingdom, we normally think in terms of governmental heads. Think of like we say the head of state or the crown is worn on the head and that represents the ultimate authority in a kingdom. But in God's kingdom here upon the earth, the kingdom is not just upon the head of Jesus, but upon the shoulder. And we as members of the body of Christ then are not only a part of that government, but we help carry it. Amen. We help carry it. It's, it's similar to when the, the scriptures say that Jesus will reign until every enemy is put under his feet. It's not enough for the enemies of God to be under the chin of God. Because if they're just under Jesus' chin and not under his feet, that means they're under him but still over you and me as members of the body of Christ. So Jesus will rule on his throne until every enemy is put under his feet. Under his feet and the last enemy, the Bible says, that will go under his feet is the enemy of death. Now notice also this wonderful promise in verse 7 that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. A lot of times we think in terms of governments that, that, uh, and nations that, that rise up and grow and prosper and then begin to fade. Um, the Roman Empire, I think, is, is perhaps one of the classic examples in, in history uh, of, of that very thing. But Jesus, uh, the government that he brought to the earth, the, the government of his father's kingdom, it will know no end. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it will continue to uh, increase. 
we see this confirmed in a parable in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33. Jesus said this, Another parable He spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. If you understand how leaven works, it's yeast, and yeast is a, you know, compared to the larger lump of dough, yeast or the leaven is a very, very small part, but once the leaven is introduced into the dough, it ultimately uh, overtakes the entire lump of dough. Uh, you've perhaps heard the biblical expression, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so he's trying to help us understand what his kingdom is like. It had very small and humble beginnings, but Jesus said it's like leaven. And when a woman took it and hid it in three measures of meal until it eventually took over the entire lump of dough. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was a loud voice, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So obviously we jump to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter eleven, and we see the fulfillment of this promise from Isaiah that the government of God once introduced here upon the earth would continue to grow, would continue to increase until all the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God. I don't know about you, but that stirs me up. That, that excites me. So here's a simple way to take some of the verses that, that we've looked at already and, and, and present them in a very simple, uh, memorable statement, okay? The kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. Amen. Our Father's kingdom is here. Jesus brought it here. And it is here to stay. It is not going anywhere. All right? Now, when we look in the Old Testament, we see that Old Testament prophets performed the same miracles as Jesus with one exception. We see Jesus multiplied food, and we see Old Testament prophets multiplied food. We see Jesus heal the sick, and we see Old Testament prophets heal the sick. We see Jesus raise the dead, and Old Testament prophets raise the dead. We see that Jesus operated in authority over nature. And we see Old Testament prophets also operated in authority over nature. The one difference, the one difference that was, and we could talk about different reasons as to why this is the case, but for whatever reasoning there was behind this, there was one miracle performed by Jesus that was reserved for Jesus and him alone and that was the casting out of demons the casting out of demons Jesus cast out demons and he said this in Luke chapter 11 verse 20 he said if I cast out demons with the finger of God surely the kingdom of God has come upon you now let's go back to and we'll probably reference it more than once this evening. But let's go back to Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And if you recall, Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he's curious about the miracles that Jesus is performing, the signs that Jesus is performing, the, the undeniable, unmistakable, 100% uh, verified miracles that Jesus is performing. 
And Nicodemus chose not to go the way of some of his other religious counterparts in saying that Jesus was performing miracles by the power of the devil or by the power of Beelzebub. And so he said to Jesus, we know God must be with you for you to do the signs, the miracles which you do. And Jesus immediately began to talk to Nicodemus about his father's kingdom, about seeing the kingdom and ultimately entering the kingdom. And then he talked about the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't see where it's going or where it, where it came from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And we spent a better part of a class really breaking all that down. So that's why I'm just rushing through it, you know, quickly because obviously it's very important. So I don't don't take me briefly mentioning it now to uh, to somehow translate into that portion of scripture being you know not worthy of our time. And it's I forget what class number it is, but it's it's definitely uh, one that we spent a great deal of time on. But what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, what you are witnessing, the miracles that you are seeing, the miracles that I'm performing, it's not the way that miracles have been performed through people on the earth in the past. In the past, remember, it was, it was a specially anointed, a special, a specially anointed, appointed prophet that God would put a measure of His Holy Spirit upon, and that measure of God's Holy Spirit would empower or enable that specially chosen individual to do different kinds of miracles and different kinds of, of signs and wonders among the people. What Jesus was announcing in his conversation with Nicodemus, and he was announcing it not just to Nicodemus, but he was announcing it to whosoever will. He was announcing it to you and me, right? That whoever is born of God's Spirit is able to produce signs and wonders and miracles from an invisible source. Visible signs from an invisible source. Miracles that you can see coming from a source that you cannot see. And what is that source then that we cannot see? It's God's kingdom. Jesus was operating as a representative of his father's kingdom. He was establishing his father's rule. He was establishing his father's reign. He was establishing his father's realm and he was using his father's resources to do the things that he did. So this is why Jesus said, if you see me casting out demons with the finger of God, it can only mean one thing, and that is the kingdom of God has surely come upon you. So this one miracle, this one sign was strategically reserved by God to distinguish not just Jesus, amen, because remember Jesus said to all those who are born again, to all those who believe on him, that you will cast out demons, amen. So we see that we cast them out by the government of God. We cast them out by the rule and the reign and the realm and the resources of God, amen. It stirs me up, all right? So if I cast out demons with the finger of God, what does it mean? The kingdom of God has come upon you, all right? So this was, why was this important? Remember, they were still trying to figure out if Jesus was a prophet or not. And Jesus has done every sign or similar signs uh, and even more so as far as the, the number. Uh, you know, Jesus didn't just heal people. Jesus healed every sick person in a crowd of 10,000. You know, we, we have no record of, of prophets doing anything like that. Okay, so the things the prophets did, Jesus did also times, I don't know, uh, 100, whatever. Um, but this one thing here was what separated him uh, from the others, and it was significant because Jesus was operating in a different model. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, 
verses 9 and 10. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The disciples come to Jesus and they ask Him to teach them how to pray. We have uh, different versions of this, different records of this in the different Gospels. And I think it was pretty obvious for them that, you know, when Jesus prayed, He got answers to His prayers. And when they prayed, you know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But obviously, uh, Jesus has mastered the art of prayer. And so He asked them, they asked Him rather to teach them how to pray. And what Jesus did in what's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer is He gave them a model to follow when they pray. He said, after this manner after this method, after, after this. And I, I even sometimes think of it, you know, when I pray as an outline um, that we can then just kind of work our way through part by part uh, and, and strategically uh, fill it out or, you know, flesh it out, so to speak, uh, as, as it relates to the things that, um, that we might be experiencing or dealing with in life. And so here, let me give an example of this. In verse number 9, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So if you look at this, and I'm not going to try to teach the whole prayer. Matter of fact, we're not going to look at any other verses besides these as it relates to the Lord's Prayer. But just to give you an example, and you can you know, take this home with you and, and, and do with it as you will, but if you wanted to follow this, this prayer model that Jesus gave for us, um, notice we begin with our Father in heaven. Jesus didn't say, you pray to my Father. He said, you pray to our Father. So Jesus is dad, my dad, same dad. He's also communicating to us the, the attitude or the tone of prayer. Uh, and of course, it should be one of respect. We should, we should what, honor our father and our mother. So when we go to our heavenly father, we should certainly respect him as a father. But Jesus is saying, as opposed to talking to him as God, uh, talk to him with respect, but also recognize that he is your father and he loves you. But then also notice our father in heaven. Now, where are we when we're praying? We're here on the earth. Where's our Father when we're praying? We're on the earth, but we're talking to our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven, if you memorize this in the King James Version. Our Father who art in heaven. And then, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. So, hallowing his name it has to do with giving reverence to his name, giving respect to his name, recognizing the holiness of God. And, and this is a, a, a time where, obviously, with thanksgiving and, and praise and worship, but remember, God has introduced himself to us with many different names, okay? And so when we talk about hallowing his name, you, you could spend a lot of time here just reminding yourself and exalting him as Jehovah Rapha, your healer, as Jehovah Sidnekanu, your righteousness, as Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Are you following what I'm saying? So... Don't rush this part when you pray because it's all of these things where we set our hearts and our minds and our focus. Uh, we've been talking about this on, on Wednesday nights. Um, God's Word is supported by and sustained by um, you know, his, uh, the way He thinks, the things that He desires, uh, and His um, actions, things that He's done. And, and the more we think about 
you know, um, you know what God has done for us, and the more we learn to think the way God thinks about things, and the more we learn to recognize what it is that God desires. God desires good for you. God desires good for you. Every word he's ever spoken to you, he's had your best interest in mind. And so when he tells you not to do something, it's not because he's trying to boss you around or make you his puppet or control you somehow. He's, when he tells you not to do something, it's because he knows what those actions and, and, and where those steps will lead you. Okay. Um, and so anyway, praise God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, you know, worshiping him, exalting him. Spending some time thinking about who he is, thinking about his nature, his character, his ability, his thoughts, his desires, his actions. All of these things build faith. All of these things increase uh, our confidence in what God has said. All right. But then notice the next uh, main section or point of, of praying that Jesus uh, recommended or that Jesus taught us. Not recommended, but taught us. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's beautiful. Don't misunderstand me. The Lord's Prayer is, is beautiful. I, I love to hear it quoted. I love to hear it uh, when people sing it. Um, it it's, it's, it's poetic. It's impactful. But I think sometimes we... You know, we miss the, 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 the power and, and, and exactly what it is that Jesus is, is telling us that, that prayer is, is really all about. We pray for the purpose of seeing our Father's kingdom come in the midst of situations so that His will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember, we're on earth, our Father is in heaven, right? And we're praying to Him because He wants to see His will being done here in your life just like it's being done in heaven. Amen. That alone right there uh, opens up so much understanding. You know, what? think about what we know concerning heaven. Uh, there's nobody sick in heaven. There's nobody broke in heaven. There's nobody depressed in heaven. All of, the, all of these things that we see clearly on display uh, in heaven and what we know about heaven, Father's desire is not for you and me to wait until we get to heaven to experience and enjoy those things, but for us to pray for His kingdom to come so that His will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus originally taught us this, he used a, a, a grammatical tool to, uh, for emphasis in that he put the verbs first. So it's translated different. It's translated your kingdom come. But when Jesus taught this, he used a structure in the language that it would be as if you're putting one's foot down and saying, come kingdom, be done will of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's a statement of authority. It's, 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 it, again, the way Jesus communicated it to us, I've already stated, you know, somebody's singing it or, you know, beautiful child quoting it, what have you. But when Jesus taught it, he taught it in such a way as for us to mean business. You, you understand that? Mean business when we pray this way. And so he, he says that we should call for his kingdom. Kingdom come. Kingdom come. What is the kingdom of God? The rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, the resources of God. Rule of God come 
Authority of God come. Power of God come. Resources of God come so that it can be done on earth as it is in heaven. This should be, I, I think, I don't know, be too extreme with this. I almost said more than anything else. But this ought to be one of our main battle cries uh, as the children of God, as the people of God here upon the earth. To see our Father's will done on earth as it is in heaven. This kind of blows the whole uh, religious theory out of the water that says we got to wait till we get to heaven to enjoy the good things of God. That we struggle and we suffer and we hold on to the end and get by with the skin of our teeth and blah, blah, blah. But oh, one day it's going to be glorious. No, that is not what Jesus taught us. He said, pray for the kingdom to come so the will of God may be done on earth as it is in heaven. So next time you're in some situation where you're praying about something for yourself or a family member or a friend or what have you, begin, you know, before you just rush into the prayer, think for a moment. Father God is wanting to use you as an instrument to see His will done in this situation, right? The same as if it was being handled uh, with gold under your feet on streets of gold in, in uh, heaven, all right? Same on earth as it is in heaven. Now, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Now, this is another one of those passages where we could teach for an extended period of time. When we dig into these words, Jesus was using a play on of words. He was using Petra and Petros, with Petra being like a large outcropping of rock and Petros being a chip off of that large outcropping. We say it, a chip off the old block. Someone who is like their parents, like their mother, like their dad, what have you. Say, oh, well, he's just a chip off the old block, All right? So he was not saying, and I don't want to offend anybody, but he was not saying that Peter would be the rock that would, the church would be built upon. What took place right before this was who Jesus truly was was revealed to Peter by the Holy Spirit. And that is how the church of Jesus Christ is built here upon planet earth. It is a rock of revelation. It is when who Jesus truly is, uh, is revealed to uh, the hearts of men and women and they call upon him to receive him. This is how God's church is built, how Jesus' church, I should say, uh, his body is built here upon the earth. So he's using these play on of words, Petra and Petros, to uh, make that point, but he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we know that Satan is trying to stop the church. We know that Satan despises Jesus and certainly despises the body of Jesus in the earth. We are his greatest threat. We are darkness's greatest threat. And so Satan has and tries to uh, array himself against God's people to stop them. And he has many different strategies uh, for trying to accomplish that. But notice what we've been equipped with 
as God's people in the earth to uh, rally against Satan and his efforts to prevent the church of God from being built here upon the earth. He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So binding and loosing represent important tools for building the church. You still with me? Binding and loosing represent important tools for building the church. And remember now, this ties directly in with our verse from last week and the week before, Isaiah 51 and 16. God says what? I'll, 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 cover you with the, I'll put my words in your mouth. I'll cover you with the shadow of my hand so that I might plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say in design, you are my people. So he's talking about then you know, binding and loosing, in case you haven't figured that out now, is something you do by speaking the word of God. By literally taking authority, kingdom authority, over Satan using the keys of the kingdom. Now, oh sweet Jesus. Let me, I want to give you this verse 19. I get stirred up here, okay. I want to give you verse 19 from the Weiss translation. And in, in my uh, simple opinion, there's not a better translation for understanding this particular passage than the Weiss translation. And this is how it reads in the Weiss, Matthew 16 and 9. I shall give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, and you see in the parentheses, binding on earth means whatever you forbid to be done on earth shall have been already bound, forbidden to be done in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, permit or allow to be done, shall have already been loosed in heaven, permitted or allowed to be done. So when he's talking about binding and loosing, this is, this is very, very important. He's talking about you and me saying no to things here that he's already said no to there. And he's talking about you and me saying yes to things here that our Father has already said yes to in heaven. He's talking about you and me binding on earth what's already been bound in heaven. He's talking about you and me saying no to things on the earth that he has already said no to in heaven. And he's talking about you and me allowing or releasing or loosing, saying yes to things here on the earth that he's already said yes to in heaven. Okay? So notice now reconciliation. Agree with God and agree with him quickly. Coming into harmony with God. Working together with God. Being a co-laborer together with God to see God's purposes and plans for humanity and for people and for this earth coming to pass. And him working together with you and you working together with him to see those things happening. Amen. This is, this is Father's kingdom being built. His kingdom growing and established uh, established here on the earth and increasing here upon the earth. I, I use this, and I, I know this may be every year that goes by, it's more and more outdated. But when I was uh, a teenager, that was back during the Cold War. Now, some of you who are a little bit older, you remember the Cold War. Some of you a little bit younger, maybe you studied a little bit about it in school. But you know, we were constantly being... Uh, presented with the potential of mutual nuclear annihilation. What does that mean? That means between the United States of America and the Soviet Union, there were enough thermonuclear bombs to destroy this planet a hundred times over. And so there were lots of movies that were made about these things. There were lots of 
it, it, was, it was just constantly being put in front of us. And as it was depicted in the movies, no one could, quote unquote, accidentally launch a, a nuclear bomb, a nuclear missile. And a lot of times it was, it was presented in such a way as one person would take a key that they wore around their neck, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they would have to put it in a key slot and turn it to launch. But that alone was not enough. Someone else would have another key that fit another key slot, and that key would also have to be turned to launch. Now, whether you ever saw or seen, you know, imagined or heard of anything like that, that was, I don't even know if that's how it really works, but that was how Hollywood tried to present it. But when the Lord began to teach me uh, about binding and loosing, and, and specifically this verse from the Weiss translation, um, that was the image that he presented to me, that in heaven... He's already put the key in and turned it to no, okay? So having already been bound in heaven, he's waiting for you to take your key, keys to the kingdom, and put it in the slot here on earth and say no with him. If it's already been bound in heaven, then bind it here on the earth. If it's already been released in heaven, then release it here on the earth. Now, these words bind and loose, those may not be very familiar words with us, but they would have been very familiar words to the people in Jesus' day, especially Jewish worshipers. Because when a Jewish worshiper would bring a sacrifice to the temple, it had to be inspected and approved by the priest. And if there were blemishes on the animal or if there was something that made the animal unacceptable, it would have been, it would have been bound. In other words, they would have said no. They would have rejected it. They would have not allowed it. If, if it was okay, then they would have loosed it. They would have allowed it to, to, to be offered and to be sacrificed. And so that's what these words, in, in their simplest form, to bind means to reject or say no to, to loose means to allow or say yes to. Now, compare this to how so many people in our world think. You know, they're, they're always, you, you hear people in the world and and, and, and traditionally religious-minded people always talking about what God allows, what God allows, what God allows. Um, I had, uh, um, well, I don't, amen. I don't want to go too far down that road, but I just have people come up to me all the time talking about, you know, can't believe God allowed this. I can't believe in, and, and they're talking, what they're talking about is, is actual consequences to their own choices, you know, I can't, I can't believe God, you know, allowed so-and-so to get put in prison. You know, it's like, well, I mean, did, did God do some kind of crime and blame it on them? Or what, what happened here, right? But that just gets thrown away, thrown around rather so, so loosely and, ca and casually. But it's, it, see, if, if we're going to be kingdom-minded people, this is what it, part of what it means to be kingdom-minded, that as, as ambassadors for God's kingdom here upon the earth, that we've been given the keys to his kingdom and we've been instructed to allow here what God allows in heaven and to bind here what God binds in heaven so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? All right, let's look at a, a little closer at this. And by the way, he, he repeats this same uh, truth again in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 18. 
which I think, um, obviously we have similar teachings repeated by the different gospel writers. So it's one thing for us to see it in, in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, and then see it again in the gospel of Luke. Okay, that, that should be expected. But this is so unique in that we have the same truth repeated in a single gospel. So Matthew 16, 19, and then again in Matthew 18, 18. So obviously this was uh, something that Jesus was emphasizing. Um, a lot of times you, if you read it carefully, I say to you again, I say to you again, we, Jesus would say that a lot, okay? I say to you again. Well, you may be thinking, well, he said that again in Luke's gospel. No, if for Matthew to record that he said it again, this means this was something Jesus repeated and repeated and repeated. We may only have it recorded once or twice in, in, in that gospel, but that doesn't mean that's the only time that Jesus actually said these things or spent time emphasizing these things. But it, it's very unique to have the same teaching repeated almost verbatim in the same gospel two chapters apart. And I think, I think we, we should pay close attention to that, uh, given that's a way. In not, you know, we talk about these things like we, it doesn't work the same way in English. If, if someone is writing a book and, and they make a point in chapter 2, and then make the point again in chapter 3, and then make the point again in chapter 6, I think they're probably trying to say to us, that, hey, this is, this is important, right? So it's not just that some mysterious Greek uh, uh, technique that where you, know, you repeat things for emphasis. We do that in the English language as well. But even more so when it comes to the uh, written word of God. So keys, given the keys to the kingdom, keys represent three very important things. Keys represent access. Okay, so if you have the key to um, a safe or if someone gives you a key to their home, then obviously they have given you, a, uh, you know, access to, uh, to whatever that key, whatever door that key will open. Number two, keys represent authority. Keys represent authority, and keys also represent responsibility. Responsibility. So three things that keys represent, access, authority, responsibility. I worked at uh, Chick-fil-A when I turned 16 and worked through high school and college, and very uh, memorable season of my life, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about business, learned a lot about working with people, I eventually became uh, a manager for uh, the gentleman who owned uh, our Chick-fil-A, Mr. Gerald Hines. He's with Jesus now, but was a dear friend. He was in mine and Pam's wedding. That's I ought to tell you. Uh, a good bit older than me, but nonetheless, he was a, a dear friend. And and um, when he promoted me, because you know, I'm just a kid, right? You know, I was learning these things. This This was the first time that someone had actually given me the keys to something besides dad letting me drive the truck, which again would represent access, authority, and responsibility. But this was on a, on a different level. I mean, I was given the combination to the safe. I was, I was the keys to the front door. And so with those keys came those, these three things. It, it gave me access, 
It gave me authority, but then also with that, it came responsibility. So begin to think in terms of you being given keys to Father's kingdom in that same way. It gives you access to the kingdom. It gives you authority where God's kingdom is concerned, but it also gives and, and, and creates this responsibility now uh, to whom much has been given, the, the scriptures say much is required. All right, Luke 16, 16. So did I mention this was kingdom overview? So I'm trying to give you a whole bunch about the kingdom in one class. So I hope I'm not going too fast for you. Luke chapter 16 and verse 16. It says the law, this is Jesus speaking. He says the law and the prophets were until John. This is John the Baptist now. The law and the prophets were until John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. The kingdom has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So when people hear the kingdom message, they want in on it. When the kingdom message is presented to people in, in truth uh, and in sincerity, people are drawn to it. People are attracted to it. And, of course, this is referring to the kingdom that Jesus brought with him to the earth. And people wanted in, but the way in was not yet available. What's got to happen before people can actually enter into the kingdom? Jesus got to die, right? Because that's the only way a man or woman can be born again. And remember what Jesus said uh, to uh, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 3. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 5, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's only one way into the kingdom. That's to be born into the kingdom. You can't pay your way in. You can't sneak your way in. You can't, you know, get some buddies to put you in the trunk of their car and, and sneak you in. That never works. The only way into the kingdom is to be born again or to be born into the kingdom. So the gospel message when it's preached, and I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but see, this is, let's go back to where we started tonight. We said that this is one of the most important messages while at the same time among the most uh, misunderstood or better yet least understood messages in all the Bible. So I can only speak for myself, but back to being raised in church, I was preached and heard and fed a steady diet of the gospel of salvation. Don't misunderstand me. The gospel of salvation is a very important message. Amen. It's wonderful news. And, and, and certainly the world needs to hear the message of salvation, the good news of salvation. But Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom with salvation as a means for entering into the kingdom. Are you following what I'm saying here? See, see this message hasn't, the kingdom hasn't been preached like it needs to be preached. When I say like it needs to be preached, I mean it hasn't been preached at all in some circles. For a lot, I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've taught this, either in this setting or other places, when, um, I, and I know they're probably watching uh, uh, over in uh, uh, Nairobi, Pastor Cornelius and those folks over there, when I had the opportunity to go and, and, and spend uh, several days uh, teaching and preaching uh, there um, among those folks, this was exactly the message the Lord told me. He said, go, go teach my kingdom. Go tell them about my kingdom. Amen. And it, it, because, again, it's the, it is 
think about it. If it's the message Jesus preached, then it's, it's certainly uh, a message that the devil does not want people to know about. If it was the one that John the Baptist preached, Jesus preached, 12 apostles preached, first 70 missionaries preached, then it, that tells us the importance and the significance of it. And yet it's not being preached as it uh, should be in our present day. Okay. Now, um, here is Matthew uh, records this in Matthew 18 and 3, Jesus speaking again. Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So a common error, and we mentioned this in the beginning, and I want to elaborate on it a little more now. One of the common errors that people make is confusing Jesus talking about his kingdom coming to the earth and our one day going to heaven. Entering the kingdom and going to heaven are not the same thing. Entering the kingdom is something that happens through the new birth. If you have been born again, you have entered the kingdom. You came from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and life, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. He brought you out of darkness into His kingdom of light, life, and love. That's entering the kingdom. Going to heaven is what happens when someone knows Jesus and passes from this life, also known as death. But remember, death equals separation. When someone dies spiritually, this is when, or is spiritually dead, this is when their spirit is separated from God's spirit. When someone dies physically, this is when their spirit and soul separate from their physical body. And when someone's spirit and soul separates from the physical body, if they know the Lord to be absent from the body, to no longer be in the body, we've got a lot of people absent in class this evening, okay? So to be absent from the class means they're not in the class. To be absent from the body means you are no longer in the body that you lived in and through during your lifetime here upon the earth. So that is what it means to go to heaven, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. So we can't confuse entering the kingdom with going to heaven. They're not the same thing. So let me give you an example here, okay? Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. And Jesus, again speaking, says to them, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. So there are a lot of people who are confused by this because and in Jesus's day, there were evidently people who were confused by this because we see where the Holy Spirit speaks through one of the apostles. And he says, God's not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness. In other words, they believed that Jesus was talking about people who are physically, biologically alive, that they would still be alive when Jesus came back to the earth, when the rapture took place. But what Jesus is talking about here is not them going to heaven, but he says that they will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. In other words, God's kingdom, his rule, his reign, his realm, his resources, working powerfully in the earth to make a difference in the lives of other people. 
Okay, now this one right here, and I, I, I really like to clear this up for folks, and I know that sometimes, you know, people do not agree with, with my take on this, but you just take it before the Lord. I want to tell you how He's taught it to me, okay? Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 21, Jesus speaking, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Anybody ever heard this verse? Anybody ever... uh, 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 I'll raise my hand on this one. Anybody ever uh, been emotionally manipulated to go to the altar and, and pray, uh, you know, because of this verse? You know, he's going to tell you one day he never knew, you know, just and and, and the, you know, you present this with casting out demons and and um, prophesying and doing many wonders. You know, you're thinking, man, you know, I, I've. I haven't done those things or done a lot of those things. And here are these people that have had all these great works. And if they're not getting in, you know, what, what uh, uh, chance do I have of getting in? And so just it was used to strike fear in, in people's hearts and confusion in people's hearts. And I believe it's a complete, that, that way of presenting this verse is uh, completely missing what it is that Jesus is saying and exactly uh, to whom he is speaking, all right? So, again, entering the kingdom of heaven is not the same thing as going to heaven when you die. So when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You, you remember when um, the rich young ruler, for example, he comes to Jesus and he's flattering him, you know, good master. You know, Jesus like, why do you call me good? There's none good but God. Because Jesus recognized that he was just trying to you know, work some angle with him and butter him up and call him good and blah, blah, blah. And so not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will of our Father in heaven? To believe on him whom God has sent. This is our work. Jesus said here, if you want to do something that's going to please Father, then believe on him whom God has sent. Okay. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you to depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Okay. So this verse throws a lot of people uh, and unnecessarily causes a lot of fear and confusion. Let's break it down together, understand what Jesus is saying here, and again, to whom he is saying it. So let's, let's go back to, we've already answered this and covered this, but one more time, how does a man or woman enter the kingdom of heaven? You've got to be born again. You've got to be born again. So, okay, well, what's, what's option two? There is no option two. There's only one way. Jesus is the way, and there's only one way, okay? So a man or a woman can only enter the kingdom by being born again. I know you know the answer to this, but let's, for the sake of, of just laying this argument, uh, this presentation rather, uh, this truth, uh, I guess would be a better way of saying it, uh, outline upon line. Can a man or a woman ever do enough good works to enter the kingdom of heaven or, for that matter, go to heaven when they die? Not the same thing, entering the kingdom of heaven, going to heaven when you die, not the same thing. But on both uh, cases, uh, it doesn't matter 
how many good works you've done, that will never get you there. It's not of works lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, as it speaks of our receiving salvation by uh, grace through faith, right? So absolutely not. Doesn't matter how many demons or, or what have you. So what is the will of God who's done the will of God? What is the will of God pertaining to entering into the kingdom? Receive the gift of salvation that he has provided by believing on him whom God has sent. We've looked at this verse already, but 1 Timothy 2.4 makes it very clear. God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All right? So now, here's a very important question. To whom is Jesus speaking in this passage here in Matthew? These verses are referring to those who were already used by Jesus, but not yet born again. Right? Are you following me? Already used by Him. Who do we know that has cast out demons but hasn't been born again yet? Who do we know that has prophesied in His name but has not been born again yet? Who do we know has laid their hands on the sick and the sick have recovered but have not yet been born again yet? Well, there's 12 disciples who did that. There's 70 missionary evangelists who went and did that. So that is a group of 82 people. 82 people who perform supernatural signs, wonders, miracles, not yet born again. They're not yet born again because Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet for them to be born again. So the only way to enter into the kingdom is through the new birth. I personally believe I'll be happy to apologize for being wrong about it, but I don't believe I am. I believe the Holy Spirit after a lot of meditation, after a lot of prayer, after a lot of, you know, trying to figure out exactly what this is all about and, and, and exactly how to teach this to people, um, that he showed me that he was talking to a very select group of people. And Jesus wanted those folks who were in on the ground floor of, of representing the kingdom and representing him, he wanted to make sure that they knew that just because you were used by God like that and just because I sent you to go do these things, you're still going to have to be born again. Not trying to, to pick on folks who believe otherwise, but listen to me. Mary had to be born again. I'm talking about Jesus' mother. Are you with me? Had to receive Jesus. Had to be born again. Now, amen. You still with me? Is that, did I do a good enough job explaining that? Okay, all right. Now, Matthew eleven eleven. Praise God. 628. Y'all can hang here a few more minutes? Yes? Okay. We might have to do Kingdom over to Overview Part 2 next week. I don't think we're going to get to all this, but we'll keep trying. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, those born of, uh, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than than he. Assuredly, in essence, means brace yourself. What I'm about to tell you is going to seem hard to believe. Anytime Jesus would say, assuredly, most assuredly, he is about to say something 
that um, is going to seem like there's no way it can be right. But of course we know it is. And this is one of those statements. Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We see Luke's account of the same verse. It reads um, uh, slightly different. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. The least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Most assuredly, Jesus said this. He's giving us a perspective here that we need to understand. The, the devil, Satan, he tries to trivialize us. He tries to diminish us. He tries to make us think that, that, we're, that we're measly and that we're losers and that we're nobodies. He is such a liar. He is, Jesus is saying the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman. What's the difference here? Someone who is the least in the kingdom has still been born of God, right? The comparison here is born again into the kingdom versus simply born of a woman. Born of God versus born of a woman. And, and later, um, let me see. Yeah, I've got it right here. Let, let's just to further compound this, we have a definition in Scripture for what it means to be the least in the kingdom. And that's Matthew 5, 19 and 20. Matthew 5, 19 and 20. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Entering the kingdom of heaven and going to heaven one day when you die is not the same thing. Okay? So let's take this a little bit uh, by a little bit here. First of all, the least in the kingdom is a man or a woman who's been born again, but still breaks the commandments and even teaches other people to break them. See, religion will tell you that dude ain't saved. That dude's not in the kingdom. But according to Jesus, they're in the kingdom, but they're at the lowest tier. They're in, but they would be considered the least in the kingdom. And the least in the kingdom. This is someone who's been born again, but is still breaking commandments and teaching other people to break them. Jesus said, least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest prophet born of a woman. Wow. Wow. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, see, here's another one of those. As a matter of fact, the disciples were like, well, who can be saved then? We might as well just go back to fishing now, right? <laughs> if, if, because in, in their estimation, uh, a Pharisee was a living, breathing epitome of righteousness. You know, they walked around with their frontlets. They would, you know, where the Bible says, keep the scriptures in front of your eyes. They would have these things that would literally, they'd wear them on their head and hold a scripture verse out in front of their eyes. So when they walked around, there was always a verse there. I mean, they, they just... All of these different you know, ways that they carried themselves and, and 
but it was all what? It was all self-righteousness. Are you seeing this? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Unless your righteousness sees the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. Because what happens when a man or woman is born again? When you're born again, you're born again with the same righteousness as Jesus himself. He, he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, how, how can this ever be? And Jesus says, well, um, with God all things are possible. And of course, Jesus knew what he was talking about here. He was referring to the day when a man or woman would be born again and receive the gift of his righteousness, which would allow them the new birth, being made righteous, enter into the kingdom. All right, now, thank you, Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. It's in heaven. Hebrews chapter 12, 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the great, I'm sorry, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. There's a lot we can talk about here and we'll get to at a later date. But I want you to notice that you're not just a citizen of heaven. You're a documented citizen of heaven. You are registered in heaven. Now, what we also see about a kingdom is that the most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. The most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. Being raised in a democracy... We, we don't really fully understand that. Uh, our president can say one thing and our, our legislative branch can, can uh, veto uh, laws that he signs and this balance of power that we have in our government here in uh, the United States of America. Uh, election day was yesterday and we, we're still trying to figure out, I think, who's going to uh, be in control of the, of the House of Representatives and the, and the U.S. Senate unless that's changed here in the last few hours. Um, but, but again, that's, that's a balance of power. In a kingdom, there is no balance of power. In a kingdom, you've got a king, and whatever the king says is what goes. And so the most powerful thing in any kingdom is the word of the king. And the beautiful thing about it is your king has said some things to you, and he has said some things about you. The question you need to ask yourself is, do you know what he has said? Do you know what your king has said about you, about your potential, about your wealth, about your, uh, your uh, purpose, about your destiny, about your righteousness, about your authority? Your king has said some things to you and he said some things about you. Do you know what he has said? Acts chapter 1. We'll keep going here. A few more minutes. You good? Yes? Okay. Acts chapter 1. And let's go with um, verses 1, 2, and 3. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to, there it is, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. It was his earliest, his most frequent, and his final subject and teaching here upon this earth, the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 23. So now we jump to the end of the book of Acts. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. This is speaking about uh, some of the final days of the Apostle Paul's life, and he was basically under house arrest, but he was shown the favor of God in these situations. And so he had, um, let's see, what do you call them these days? Airbnbs or whatever. He had this, he had this, uh, this uh, house where he stayed, and people came to hear from him, be taught by him. And notice now, notice that it's not just Jesus that taught the kingdom of God, but now we see it in the Apostle Paul's life as well. Luke 12 and 32, Jesus speaking, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Man. Now, <laughs> wow. See, we, this is where it really starts kind of getting out there, right? His Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then, because this is in response to them being afraid of what they're going to eat and drink and how they're going to live, how we're going to make it. And Jesus is like, look, it's not just Father's good pleasure to help you through a tight spot. It's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then they say, because the Pharisees were kind of being smart alecks, I think, you know, or whatever. You know, it's like, Jesus, you're talking all about this um, kingdom. When, when's there going to be a ribbon cutting? You know, when, when are we going to, uh, you know, break ground on the new uh, capital? You know, just kind of that, those kinds of questions. And Jesus said, you're confused. It doesn't come with observation. He's not talking about something. Remember Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it and see the, 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 the trees moving, but you don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going. So shall everyone be who is born of my Father. Okay? Now, one last verse and we'll call it a class. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaches us seven parables in a row. And all seven of these parables were concerning the kingdom. Okay? So I don't want to be obnoxious with it, but back to back to back to back to back to back to back parables on the kingdom. And then he comes to verse 51 of Matthew chapter 13. And he says this, Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder 
who brings out of his treasure things new and old. So, I, I believe Jesus was kind of grinning when they said, yes, Lord, because he knew that they still had some growing to do, right? I imagine they were like, yes, Lord, let's go get a hamburger, man. It's been a long time. You know, I think they were just kind of ready to be done with it, right? And then Jesus said this, for their benefit, but also for ours. Every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. There are a handful of verses that I believe are worth the purchase price of a message translation Bible. And Matthew 13, 52 is one of those. Listen to this translation of this particular verse. Then he said, he said, Then you see how every student well trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store who can put his hands on anything you need, old or new, exactly when you need it. Wow. Why is that? Because the kingdom's in you. The kingdom's in you. It's not, a, it's not a question of whether or not the kingdom is in you. The kingdom is in you. If you're born again, it's Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, and His kingdom is in you. His kingdom was in Jesus. Therefore, wherever Jesus went, the kingdom went. And wherever Jesus went, the, the reign of God, the rule of God, the realm of God, and the resources of God went with Him. And when he asked them if they understood all these things, all these things, what are these things? All these things about the kingdom. And they said, yes, Lord. And Jesus says, okay, then. Every student well-trained in God's kingdom is like the owner of a general store. You can put your hand on anything that anybody needs. Right? Why? It's because the kingdom has made provision for anything that anybody will ever need. And that kingdom is in you and me. Do you see why we've got to become kingdom mindset? A kingdom minded, have a kingdom mindset where we stop looking at what we don't have and what we can't do and, and start realizing that because we're ambassadors for our Father's kingdom and His kingdom is in us, that anything that anybody needs, anytime they need it, we got it. We got it. Let me tell you when the church starts turning the world upside down again, it's when we start thinking like that again. When we start realizing that we have a treasure in our earthen vessel. And we can draw from that treasure to see other people ministered to and their lives changed for the glory of God. So I mentioned earlier, and we'll begin here next week, but I mentioned earlier this whole gospel of salvation versus the gospel of the kingdom. And remember that the gospel of salvation focuses more, at least the mindset that people have where that gospel is preached. The gospel of salvation, people tend to look at that gospel as you getting into heaven, right? So get saved. God will forgive you for your sins. You won't go to hell, and you'll get go to heaven when you die. And that's kind of the, the, the rough summation of the gospel of salvation, at least as it is presented in a lot of cases and how people hear it in a lot of cases, right? But notice now the gospel of the kingdom is different. The gospel of the kingdom is not a gospel that's solely intended on getting you into heaven. But the gospel of the kingdom is about getting the kingdom of heaven into you. Getting you in the kingdom and then getting the kingdom in you so that wherever you go, you'll be like Jesus, bringing the kingdom of our Father with you. Amen? All right. Father, thank you for our time together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for those who are here with us in the room and, Lord, for those that are watching online. I thank you, Father, for helping us connect with your truth and the power of uh, the truth concerning your kingdom, the reality of your kingdom, Lord, in us and, 
and us in it. And Lord, that you would help us from this uh, overview, covered a lot of things tonight, Father, but that you would really help us uh, see and, and, and think and understand and even behave, uh, Lord, from a newly, uh, a new or freshly renewed uh, kingdom mindset. And Lord, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being with us here in the room, for watching online. Uh, much love and good things coming. Uh, remember now, we will meet next week, but then the week of Thanksgiving, the 23rd, we will not have class. So class next week, but not on the 23rd. Amen.